We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're talking the 2020 class of rookie wide receivers on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you this week by Blue Wire. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. And we have a special guest this week. Sam Wallace joins us to talk about this phenomenal group of rookie wide receivers. If you read Rotoviz this year, you're 100% familiar with Sam. He's published about 10,000 articles in 2020. He's a featured writer at Rotoviz, super active on Twitter. Got to talk to him for the first time vocally last week, and I'm really looking forward to talking with him now. Sam, thanks for uh, joining Matt and I on the show tonight. Yeah, thank you guys both so much for for the opportunity. I don't think I've written quite that many articles. I might be getting close now after my first year with the site, but it's <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, and I'm extremely humbled to still have the opportunity and really looking forward to chatting rookie wide receivers with you guys. Yeah, well, you know, I know that there's a couple of guys, such as T. Higgins, that I've I've seen you talk a lot about this year. And, I mean, it was a really, really exciting class to follow. Um, and we're actually recording this during the national championship game. So I think that there might be some more fireworks coming from a couple of these young receivers that we'll probably be talking about at this time next year. But before we start talking about Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Chase Claypool, why don't you just run us through some of the things that you worked on in 2020, Sam, and then some of the projects that you're looking forward to getting to in uh, 2021? Yeah, one of the really exciting things that I had the opportunity to do this season was one of the kind of later additions to the road of his website right before the 2020 season called The Blitz. And it was a, a piece of the site for those who haven't seen it. That's where a lot of my work was housed over the season 
really just designed to capture kind of a quick reaction to any recent news, recent updates. And I kind of treated it as that during the offseason. If there was kind of breaking news around a player, a transaction, a trade, a coaching blurb or something like that that might impact the perceived value of a player. It was fun to kind of quick, um, just kind of shoot out a quick article, a reaction piece, getting my thoughts and trying to have an actionable takeaway for the reader. And I did several of those every week um, during the NFL season. Tried to do about three to four a week early on and kind of settled into that three-ish article range over the course of the year. And then also had the opportunity to do the weekly buy low report, really looking at the strength of schedule app on the platform or on the website and trying to identify players with either promising or maybe more challenging uh, upcoming schedules, primarily for redraft players if they're looking to stream different options or get in front of or get behind player values before they would change over the course of the couple of weeks. So yeah, that was that was my 2020 schedule. And for 2021, um, Looking to this year, make a more intentional point to really highlight a lot of the tools on the website. Um, still kind of learning myself all, all the depth and the breadth of those tools and what they can offer, but wanting to center a lot of my articles on here's the tool, but then making some actionable takeaways from the research that it can provide. And I think bringing some really cool insights to the readers. Yeah, that's awesome. That all sounds good. You know, it's funny about, um, about the tools and like there are still things recently that I will say to myself, like, wait, like, is there a way for us to do this on the site? And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, it's in this tool. Or I'll have the screener open and I'm still finding, like, different things to do with the screener that I actually have not done before. So glad to hear that you'll be getting that uh, into some of your work because I think that there's a lot of value for that uh, type of um, demonstration of the tools. Yep. I'm going to jump in and go off script uh, of per usual. Yep. Uh, Sam, I, I have a couple of questions. One, sure. uh, what tool is your favorite? And then two, uh, what is something that you wish Rotoviz did with uh, some of their tools that they don't do yet? Oh, man. Um, probably I'd have to go with the road of his screener just because of all the different pieces that I can look up historically and look at a number of different pieces of information. Um, as far as something that I wish was added, I've heard some rumblings about some other more advanced analytics, if you will, of like yards per route run, things like that. So looking for just kind of another unique angle, whether or not it's predictive, but it would just be kind of nice to have some some additional variables to really try to separate and kind of string out some of these players. I think that's great. I would love, Dave, I would love if uh, some of the tools at Rotoviz had yards per route run. Uh, I would all, or maybe like yards per snap or something like that, but just yep. to, to get as granular as possible with some of the things that we're looking at. Also, um, I think it would be cool if we had the option. I know we have this in the screener, um, but I don't think it's in any of the other tools to have the option of including postseason data. Um, yeah, that's that funny. Would, We've talked about this a couple of times. Um, yeah, that would that would be delicious. I don't <laughs> use that word that often, so I really want you to know how I feel about the ability to include postseason data. It would be del- delicious. Delicious. Um, yeah. I'm going to come back to you on that that comment there quickly in a second, but I will say okay. I can't make any promises about what we're going to have on the site in terms of getting more granular next year. But I will say that's something that I am very much um, interested in us acquiring and adding myself. So there's definitely uh, a lot of hope that we can start to to get to, you know, some some more granular information like that and kind of expand some of the types of stats that you'll be able to see in the tools. Um, but that is, you know, kind of a big, big can of worms to open. So 
you know, that's what I'll say for now. But uh, I definitely hear you there. And then, sorry, Sam, that you're going to have to listen to this because Matt and I have this conversation frequently about oh, getting no. it posted. Please go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I think that as far as like stuff like the range of outcomes, Matt, um, that we can probably get postseason games in. Um, what are the other tools though where you think that that matters? Like the game splits app. I okay. Mean, like that's a that's a very basic one, and yep. it seems like you could include it in that. Uh, the weekly the weekly screener. Yep. Um, I think that would be a great one because it has all of the receiving rushing data in there. Um, it would just be awesome to be able to look in there and have included, for instance, like the data from like Buffalo's game last week. You yeah. Know? Like I would just I would like that. Okay, that's actually a really good point. Um, all right. I appreciate that input. Uh, I, I, have- I would second, I would second Matt's point about the postseason data and only because I, I had heard somebody mention a few days ago that, you know, we, we play fantasy football like weeks one through 16 week 17 is obviously kind of a wash for fantasy, but we really start to see teams intent on usage of players when it's a winner go home situation. Yep. I love that. So like one, I think it's, it's useful, uh, to think about what might happen for uh, the upcoming season when you're making projections. I think it's useful for trying to create projections uh, for the purposes of DFS. And then also there are people who are playing in postseason contest. Uh, and so they would potentially be able to want to see what the numbers look like uh, in games where everything actually matters. Okay. All right, I, I appreciate the uh, the input there and the feedback. Um, I don't I don't think you do actually appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I do, I do. I just really want to get into the wide receiver talk. So if it's okay with you, Matthew, can we move along? I was ready a couple of minutes ago. All right, okay. So we are here tonight not to uh, focus too heavily on the tools, but a lot of the info we bring up likely will come from them. But what I wanted to talk about was the rookie class of wide receivers from 2020 i am going to share some quick notes on some key pieces of information about the class and then i am going to toss some questions to sam matt can chime in as he feels uh necessary but just to kind of set the stage i'm going to point out that seven players from it where in all the numbers i'm going to say go back to 2000 so seven of the players in the top 50 of total points of rookie wide receivers came from the 2020 class four were in the top 25 if we look at points per game five of the top 25 come from the 2020 class so of the top 25 players from the last 21 seasons five were from the 2020 class eight of the top 50 however though i think it's interesting that this class actually did not do as well as the 2014 case or excuse me 2014 class and you could actually make a case that they did not do as well as the 2019 class, which is really interesting. The 2014 class had nine players in the top 50. Uh, the 2019 had six. So that's more actually than the 2020. 2014 class had 11 players in the top 100. 2019 had nine. 2020 had eight. I do think, though, that if you look at it like that, that's a little bit misleading because the top, like the players at the top of the 2020 class, I think were a little bit better than the players at the top of the 2019. Um, so you might be wondering who these players were. In 2020, you had Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, CeeDee Lamb, 
T. Higgins, LaVisca Chenault, Jerry Judy, Darnell Mooney. Those were players that cracked the top 100. Then you have Terry McLaurin, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, Darius Slayton, D.K. Metcalf, Preston Williams, Marquise Brown, Hunter Renfro, and Deontay Johnson. And then there is that insane 2014 class. You had Odell Beckham Jr., who had the most insane season you might ever see from a rookie wide receiver. Mike Evans, Kelvin Benjamin, Brandon Cooks, Martavis Bryant, Jordan Matthews, Sammy Watkins, Jarvis Landry, Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, and John Brown. Brandon Ayuk is 12th in targets per game. Uh, Jefferson, 19, and Judy, 32. And that's if you look at uh, targets per game that uh, rookies would have seen going back to 2000. Chase Claypool, 16th in touchdowns per game. He had nine total on the season. Justin Jefferson ranks two in yards per game. Ayuk, 17. Higgins, 22nd. Justin Jefferson, 22 in um, yards per reception and sixth in yards per target. So a lot of really neat superlatives there, which brings me to the question, Sam, that I want to start off with. It might be the most obvious one. Is there any reason that Justin Jefferson, and this is something Matt and I have talked about. I'm going to phrase it like this. Is there any reason that Justin Jefferson isn't the top ranked, top ranked dynasty player out of this rookie class as we move into next year? I think if there was one player who you could make a legitimate case for based on the little bit that we've seen, it would be CeeDee Lamb. Um, I would have really liked to have seen a full season out of him and Dak Prescott. The fall off that he had without Prescott was pretty substantial. Um, that, that would be the only reason that I would think that Jefferson isn't just because of the passing volume in Dallas. Yes, they have more wide receivers to feed, so to speak, but based on what we've seen, you, you don't set the all-time rookie wide receiving record um, and, and not really be in contention for not only just the rookie wide receiver one out of this class, but he's making a case for the dynasty wide receiver one overall. So uh, I think it's a pretty safe bet between Justin Jefferson for sure. If you wanted to argue with me about CeeDee Lamb based on what we saw, I wouldn't push back too hard, but I think Jefferson's a safe bet. Yeah, it, I, I would go ahead. Matt. I would push back. Oh, <laughs> I, I love would, it. I would say, he's I, already I pushed like it back it to be Jefferson. Yeah, I feel like it has to be Jefferson. But I, and I think the question isn't necessarily Jefferson versus a wide receiver, but Jefferson versus uh, a running back. Like, I think someone can make a case out of this class for Jonathan Taylor over Justin Jefferson, you know, maybe just depending on what it is that they prioritize uh, positionally. But uh, I think it's Justin Jefferson out of all of these wide receivers, like windmill slam dunking over everybody. Yeah, that, I, I would agree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's actually where I am. Jefferson um, versus Jonathan Taylor is almost more of an interesting conversation to me than him versus the other receivers. And that's not to say that I don't think there's any way that CeeDee Lamb or another one of these guys might catch up to him. It's just that based upon what we saw from their first season, I think Jefferson was just absolutely tremendous. Um, But what about if we talk about next year in isolation? Sam, who do you think will have the best 2021 season for redraft purposes? Is that also locked into being Justin Jefferson? I think it has to. And kind of pivoting back to that last point, if if we know the contract situation with Dak and the health situation with Dak, if both of those are locked up, and those are variables that we just don't know yet at this point of the offseason, Again, you could say Lamb would be in contention. I might have even put T. Higgins into that as well, based on how well he played early on with with Joe Burrow. But again, the health of Joe Burrow coming back, I think if you want to be safe, I don't even think it's too chalky to put Jefferson there, but he was in contention anyways. And I heard a number of people say this last offseason that Jefferson was probably going to be the best 
wide receiver simply for 2020 from the rookie wide receiver class coming in because of his role and his uh, the position value he was going to have in Minnesota, even though it is more of a, of a run-centric team. The departure of Stephon Diggs and just the value that, that Jefferson would have, I, I don't think there's any reason why that will change next year. Yeah. Yeah, so- I, I would... I would agree a hundred percent with that. And if you, I mean, this is a very simplistic way of looking at it, but if you look just from week three on and week three was when Justin Jefferson moved from the slot to the perimeter. So I, I feel like it's fine kind of splitting in that way from week three to the end of the season, literally no other player in the NFL had more receiving yards than Justin Jefferson. And, you know, he did that as Sam said, you know, as a rookie in a run-heavy offense. um, And toward the end of the season, he started to get even more usage. So I I think it's not as if you can really say, okay, like let's extrapolate what he did in the second half of the season, and that's definitely the usage he's going to have in his second season. But I think it's likelier than not that he uh, skews a little more towards his second half usage than the first half usage. So, I mean, I think what he did as a rookie is pretty much his floor for what he would do in his second season. And I don't think that's really the case with, with CD lamb of him, like being able to make that big of a leap because he still has other very competent pass catchers. He has to compete with. Uh, I'd say the same thing with some of some of the other rookies in this class. I think it would be really hard for them to take a big enough of a leap to be able to jump over Justin Jefferson's floor, uh, which is last year. Can, can I toss and something? Matt, oh, go oh, ahead, Sam. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead I'll, first. I'll, I'll toss this question back at you just because I had written it down later on, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. You had mentioned that you see Justin Jefferson's performance this year as a rookie as his floor moving forward and, you know, kind of teasing it when we get into rookies that are maybe we might see as a sell or a ceiling play or something like that. I have a couple other names written down, but it's hard to believe, not hard to believe, I guess, but when, when you post the all-time record as a rookie, you have 125 targets, 88 receptions, 1,400 yards, and seven touchdowns. You see that as just as a repeatable performance, not that he can't because he's obviously super young and super talented. Do you think the offense will allow him to have that type of volume year in and year out? Yeah, I think so because it's not as if there was anything really all that great about the volume. It's not as if it was uh, like Devonte Adams, like level of volume. So True. I think, I think there's room actually for him to get more targets this upcoming season. And even if he's less efficient, I would actually expect him to be a little less efficient at converting targets into yards. I still think there's the opportunity that he could be much better at scoring touchdowns because he had very few opportunities uh, this past year. Like, almost all of them were going to Adam Thielen uh, whenever they were getting near the end zone. Like Thielen, I think led the league in end zone targets. If he wasn't the leader, he was like in the top three. Uh, I would expect some regression there to where even if Jefferson has fewer yards, he actually has more touchdowns next year, which would uh, I think more than compensate for any decline in efficiency. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to toss out something here that that is maybe borderline ridiculous. Um, If we don't think it's even worth entertaining, we can move on. But what if Juju Smith-Schuster does not return to Pittsburgh and the like 19 targets that we saw in the game last night, we're not going to say 19 targets a game, but I mean, Claypool was seeing pretty significant uh, usage, right? Juju saw a lot of usage. What if he leaves and then we actually see Claypool take 
another step forward, become more of a pig in that offense, get more looks scoring touchdowns, which he clearly is good at. Is there any chance that perhaps he could challenge somebody like Jefferson? Oh, yeah. It's it's a hundred percent happening. Like it's it's not a question as to like whether he is like the DK Metcalf, like hopeful that everyone wants him to be like he's going to be drafted as if he is DK Metcalf and will take that type of leap. I, I think the the question is uh whether he's able to maintain that efficiency and like actually hit like the DK Metcalf second year levels, uh, whether like Ben Roethlisberger is still the quarterback in Pittsburgh next year. Um you know, I think there are a whole host of other issues around that, but I don't think there's a question as to like whether or not he's going to see a massive jump in usage. Uh, I like, I think that's happening. I still don't think you can project him for more than Justin Jefferson, but I, I think like thinking of this within the range of outcomes and I don't like, I actually wouldn't expect this to show up in the range of outcomes app, but thinking of like the range of outcomes, he definitely has it within his range of outcomes to be the number one wide receiver next year. Like not, I think not just in this class, but uh, overall, but you know, so like he's going to have an inflated uh, draft range, but it's not as if you can project him for that. Perfectly fair. And to pivot off of that last point, I, I think his value, like Matt said there at the end, I think he'll be drafted there, which I think says a lot about the fantasy community's perception of what he can do simply because of his athletic comp to DK Metcalf. And it's phenomenal just how he shows up in, in as, as a top prospect in, in the freak score app. But if Roethlisberger isn't there or is, I think there's a lot of other questions like Matt had mentioned regarding that offense that it's going to be hard to project, but it also wouldn't shock me for sure. All right. Um, let's, let's move along here. Um, but actually, before we do, we do have to take a quick break, and I think that now seems like a good time to do it, so we will be right back. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Full of tips and tricks. 
And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But again, that's bwhustle.com slash join. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Okay, so back to talking about these rookie wide receivers. And at this point, I'm almost wondering if I should be calling them sophomore wide receivers, but we're going to go with rookie. Uh, Well, I'll start off throwing this one to Sam. Sam, which wide receiver do you think has the most room for growth uh, out of Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, Chase Claypool, CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins, LaVisca Chenault, and Jerry Judy? Yeah, I'm going to go with LaVisca Chenault for this one simply because there's so much room for him to grow because of how poor he played this year. And I don't think a lot of it was necessarily on him, but just how poor the the offense was as a whole in Jacksonville. Taking a look at a couple of quick... um, just, just scoring uh, aspects for him. He only had a one week where he scored as a wide receiver one, and that was week 17. He only had one other week where he scored as a wide receiver two, and that was week 16. So the entire season, he was a wide receiver three or worse. And his draft capital is pretty high with kind of a mid to early second round. And I really like his his athletic, or sorry, his production comps from college. Um, you talked about kind of a favorite app that I look looking at. And I know it's not always the best thing to look just at name compositions. But when we're comparing just college production um, compared to draft capital, when you plug in LaVisca Chenault with a 42nd overall draft position, his top four comps based on college production and draft capital are A.J. Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas, and DeAndre Hopkins. So I think you'd be really hard-pressed to find a better grouping of players, at least on paper. And he obviously flashed a little bit better near the end of the season. But I just think the overhauling of the offense, bringing in a new quarterback, I think he just has the most room to grow because I don't really think he's even really scratched the surface of what he's going to be able to do in that offense. I think that's that's a really good answer. And Dave, I think it's a really good question. And the, the way Sam framed it is good, like room for growth. Thinking about Chenault's relative underperformance this year and then the ceiling that he could have next year, both because you would expect him to take a second a second year leap, uh, his athletic profile, what he did in college, and then that offense around him could be better. Or, I mean, it can't be much worse next year than it was this year. So there is with Chenault a world of, of growth potential there um, that I think we, we don't see with some of these other players because either their ceilings are a little bit capped. So you think of someone like Ayuk who, who does have potential, but you know, Debo Samuel is there. Uh, you know, Lamb has potential, but Amari Cooper is there. Um, Judy has potential, but there are you know other receivers there. Like, you know, if Cortland Sutton returns, Judy might not even be the number one receiver on his team. Uh, and so I think Chenault, I think it's a, a sharp answer by Sam. I think Chenault does have the most room for growth based on what he did last year and then what his ceiling could be this year. 
And I really like the opportunities that he had. I know he had a little bit of health issue middle of the season, but he finished the year by averaging 64% of the offensive snaps and almost seven opportunities a game. They tried to use him a little bit as a rusher early on in the season and never really quite panned out when they started to shift him more to a primary wide receiver role. But he still offers a little bit of that pseudo wildcat um, opportunity on the offensive side. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, Matt brought up Jerry Judy because he, for me, when I started looking at this, I felt like um, they were the two names that I was kind of going back and forth on. But Cortland Sutton, I think, is easy to forget about just how good he seemed heading into the season. Um, and I'm not sure that DJ Chark is in comparison to some of the other players on these teams that these guys are sharing with the f- sharing the field with as good as some of these other names. So. I like that Chenault answer. I think he's going to get a pretty significant upgrade at quarterback, it would seem. It does look like a lot of people think that Denver might go and try to take another chance on a young passer uh, to replace Drew Locke, but that's also not going to be somebody that we're going to expect to have. The At least I wouldn't, given the number of quarterbacks that could go early in the draft, even though Denver has a decent pick, it still might, might not be one of those slam dunk picks at quarterback. Um, moving. Hey, David, oh, go ahead. I'd yep. like to hear. I'd like to hear what Sam has to say about Higgins right here. Kind of thinking about room for growth potential, because um, we didn't really touch on him all that much here. But uh, you know, Joe Burrow coming back from injury. Um, Joe Burrow having another year uh, within that offensive system, not having to learn a new offense uh, with the firing of a head coach or anything like that. So there's continuity there uh, with Higgins, uh, presumably he will have no um, AJ green there. Uh, So, you know, less competition for targets. So, you know, potentially he could have a a big jump, but of course he was also already pretty decent, but I just kind of like to get your thoughts, Sam on Higgins and what you might expect out of him next year. Yeah. I I think a lot of it does hinge on, on AJ green departing, not that AJ green posed a a big threat to him, but you know, we kind of started looking at Justin Jefferson at about week three when he kind of made that transition when I did a lot of my in-season work on T. Higgins or research, a lot of it I kind of started at week three because he didn't he didn't record a stat in week one. He scored about six points in week two, but by week three, when he really started to get going, he out he was over double-digit fantasy scoring points for seven straight games. So I just liked seeing that consistency and that floor from him and that involvement. And obviously, after Burrow went down, his production really tailed off. It was nice to see him still have some involvement over the course of the year but I think he's in a really good spot. And I think based on where you probably drafted him as a rookie, he was depending on the format of your rookie draft, a late first, then kind of an early to mid second um, on pick. He didn't test at the combine, which may or may not have helped his draft stock. And for people in the know who really kind of scouted him out, we're probably a little bit higher on him, um, but, but I'm really excited. He, he's one of my favorite wide receivers from the class selfishly, but it was nice to see him make that connection. And then I just love his, his stack with Burrow from a dynasty perspective. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I really like that those notes there on T. Higgins. Um, you know, the other interesting thing is even if A.J. Green is around, we might be at the point, too, where the team really says we, we have to stop going this guy's way so much. I mean, it was really just like empty targets when they were going to him. 1,405 air yards, finishes with 523 receiving yards, five yards per target. We had worried about when uh, A.J. Green would fall off, and I mean, I, I really think it happened this season. But let's move over to some players that we haven't touched upon yet who I think, 
you did not hear a lot about, but they showed some real encouraging signs throughout 2020. They managed to get involved as rookies, and these players are Darnell Mooney and Gabriel Davis. I want to know, Sam, between the two of those players, who are you more excited about? For me, this one was actually easier than I thought, uh, and it's Darnell Mooney. Uh, I think he has less question marks in terms of who's going to be around him depth chart-wise. I see him really as the clear-cut wide receiver, too, for the Bears, and we'll see what happens to Allen Robinson in the offseason. Switching over to Gabriel Davis for a second, obviously Stephon Diggs is still there, and then we'll, we'll see what happens with both Cole Beasley and John Brown. I think he has a little bit more of a question mark around him. Uh, I'm not sure, really, if, if having a rushing quarterback will necessarily hinder him at all, but... I like Mooney simply because when I looked at his targets, I was shocked. I didn't realize that he had been targeted 98 times this year. That number surprised me. I did not realize that he had that many targets. And I'm a little bit of a sucker for some of these um, kind of in-season narratives. I was reading an article. He bought himself a jugs machine early on in the year and was just really focusing on, you know, and I'll admit that's not really a piece of analysis. But for me, as, as a fan of the game, I love seeing that about young players who's really trying to work on intentionally um, just upping their game. But, for, for, for being a speed threat like that, it was nice to see him get some airtime from the commentators during the game yesterday or over the weekend. They're saying, yeah, you know, you know, Darnell Mooney's not here. He's really a good field stretcher. The, the target volume was encouraging, and for his sake, it would be nice to see if Mitch Trubisky stayed under center. I don't know if that'll be the case or not. I mean, the Bears offensively were significantly better on paper from a point-scoring perspective with him. But, yeah, between Mooney and Davis, I'll take Mooney, and my shameless plug is one of my recent pieces over on the website was on Mooney as well. So there's that. Sam, uh, do you think out of Mooney or Davis that Mooney has the higher long-term upside? Uh, or do you think it's maybe he has like a, a, a more secure path to immediate targets relative to Davis? I think that's a great question. And I would probably say Davis is probably a better bet long-term, but it wouldn't shock me to see Mooney score more points over the next two seasons. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I could, I could see that, especially because there's the uncertainty with Allen Robinson, where if Robinson goes, I mean, you have to assume that the bears would still bring in uh, a rookie wide receiver. They'd probably still sign a veteran, but I mean, there would be the potential that Mooney could be the number one receiver next year, but there's just something about Davis. He's just, he's so efficient at turning his targets into yards. Uh, he was a good player in college. He has good size. He's still just 21 years old. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like I'm probably chasing uh, like the dream of his upside a little bit uh, versus Mooney. Uh, you know, I, I do think that there's a, a clearer path to opportunities right away with Mooney. And we've seen that this year, but I don't know. I, I think I would, I think I would probably prefer Davis uh, and then like regret that decision a year later. It's probably not a bad take to be wrong on, though. I, I don't necessarily think that Robinson leaving would be good for Mooney. I don't think he profiles very well as as a team's wide receiver one. And I kind of felt the same way about Judy. That's jumping ahead a little bit. But I think Cortland Sutton coming back helps somebody like Judy. And I feel like Mooney profiles better as more of a field stretcher, not always as a possession receiver. But to see that volume, I think, is super encouraging. Dave, do you have an opinion on Mooney versus Davis? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I think if you would ask me this maybe around like week eight, I probably would have been Mooney, but I'm I'm actually like pretty excited about Davis. I, a lot of that comes down to for him. I might be a sucker for that, you know, stretch of touchdowns he put together one every game between uh, week 12 and week 14. And of course, he scored in week 17 um, was a pretty key player 
um, in the in, in the uh, game over the weekend. What I like though is this Bills team looks like it should be good for a couple of seasons. I also like that he's playing with a guy like Diggs, um, and I just feel like. That puts him in a situation where the downside isn't quite as bad, and I actually think it might give him more upside. Um, so I don't think this one's super cut and dry, but just me personally, I'm more excited about Davis. Going back to the idea that I think the team is just going to give him higher quality opportunity, and I think that um, we're more likely of seeing him find the end zone frequently next year than what you're going to get with a player on the Bills that isn't Allen Robinson. I mean, yeah, excuse I me, player it's, on it's the at least um, encouraging. Bears. Sorry, I was gonna say, yeah, I think yep. it's at least encouraging for the the Bills that I think they play four wide receiver sets more than any other team in the league, and I don't think they really meant to do that entering the season, but Davis kind of forced it upon them where they realized. Like, hey, let's get our five most talented guys on the field, and one of them is Davis, and that just means we go with four wide receivers more than we planned on it. Yep, and the um running backs i don't think either of them really did that much this year to make the bills feel like they have to do more in the ground game now who knows though if cole beasley keeps putting out fire tracks perhaps he, perhaps he hangs up the cleats and just you know he's no just goes after his grammy all right we, we can only wish yes um all right though so we've talked about players that we're excited about how turned off of henry rugg should people be sam I was never really on Henry Ruggs. I never really got the hype. So he was kind of a big film versus, you know, analytic discussion last year. It seemed like it always seems to be Alabama receivers have that discussion. Um, Three, three, or three, I think it was three receptions in a game. Like it just didn't happen. He just never got the usage. I don't think he's going to really be the number one pass catcher. Nelson Aguilar looked like a legitimate wide receiver one for stretches of the year, hitting almost 900 yards and eight touchdowns. Darren Waller is going to get his. He tossed in maybe some growth of some of the other young, young wide receivers. They involve the running backs in the passing game. I don't know. I mean, his draft capital is probably going to allow him multiple opportunities to um, to perform. But for, for someone who didn't really buy him anywhere, was never really all that interested, I never really got it. So um, I'm, I'm pretty off on him. I, I suppose anyone's a value at some point. So if I can get him for something fairly cheap, I'll take a shot. Outside of a best ball league, I'm probably probably out entirely. Matt, yeah, you're, you're I would, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd say like I was the the donkey who's uh, who's interested in Henry Ruggs. It's it's a very unrotovizy type of take. Uh, I think to to be super interested in, in Henry Ruggs, but I feel like he had so many of the other things that uh, like rotovizians want, except for the production. Um, or except for the, let me rephrase that, like the volume of production. Um, he never had that breakout season, but you know he was a five-star recruit. He did have the athleticism. He was 21 years old. He was an early declarant. Uh, he was productive in a variety of ways. Uh, so, you know, uh, efficient with his, his uh, targets, was able to run, uh, you know, return man. So, like, he had a number of things. Uh, and then, of course, like, the draft capital. So he had all of the other things that normally accompany the production. Uh, and so like my, my backwards way of thinking about this was he had all of those other things that normally accompany production. Uh, and that normally I would say like result in production. And in this instance with rugs, it didn't result in production just because of like the randomness 
of the Alabama offense where like they didn't really need him to do much on a like game to game basis. But whenever he did touch the ball, like he turned it into a touchdown a quarter of the time. Um, so I don't know. Like, I think he, I'm a little bit worried about the offense that he's in, uh, in Las Vegas and that like, it's a decent enough offense, but they spread the ball around. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think Ruggs is ever going to be like a high, a high volume number one. And he was probably never going to be a high volume number one, but like, I don't know if he's going to even have the volume that he would need to be like a low or like medium volume number one. Uh, but I do think that you see the difference in the offense with him on the field versus off the field. Like he has a Deshaun Jackson type of ability to at least like open everything up for everyone else, which I mean, from fantasy perspective, doesn't really do much for him, but I think it does indicate that at least he's probably a better player than the production that we saw out of him as a rookie. Yeah, I would definitely agree there. 17.4 air yards per target was number two at the wide receiver position for the season. So we know he has that field stretching ability. Like he, he comes to somebody like a John Ross who has that blazing speed, decent production profile, but I've just never been sold on, on speed alone in the NFL. And like you had mentioned, he had all of those other things that generally accompany production, but it's unfortunate that what, what translates well to what's good for an NFL team doesn't always translate what's well to a fantasy team. And I think that'll show up in the production. So my opinion to step in here is that I think that if you look at this type of player in the type of situation that he's in, I feel like the percentage of times where this player ends up hitting, given everything we know at this point, is pretty low. And it's enough that I'm willing to over or I'm willing to forego the possibility that things turn around and I make a mistake and I miss on a player that ends up being pretty, pretty good. I mean, it was easy to explain the lack of production or the lack of overall volume at Alabama playing with other NFL receivers and, you know, maybe the most talented roster that you're going to see in college football across the last four years. However, when you make your way to the NFL, you have the draft capital that he does, and you're not able to draw more targets than Hunter Renfro, who had 76. Ruggs only had 43. Now, of course, Ruggs only played in 13 games, but Renfro played a full 16, but still you had Aguilar with the 82. Darren Waller is there and involved. It just seems to me like, yes, Henry Ruggs is really useful, like Matt alluded to, but to actually scheme things and ways to get him targets, it just doesn't seem like teams are going or are finding ways to actually make that happen for him. And then just to kind of put a historical perspective on this, if you pull up some comps and you use Rex targets, yards, touchdowns, and PPR points from a player's rookie season, his closest comps are guys like Aurelius Ben, Hank Basket, Jacoby Ford, Troy Williamson. You do see some hits like Emmanuel Sanders, Nate Burleson, Nate Burleson's in that list, DJ Hackett, Robert Foster, Demetrius Williams, Kenny Galladay, Deontay Moncrief, Chancey Stuckey, David Nelson. So there is some little precedence there that guys can turn things around, but and some of this is, you know, these players don't have the draft capital that Ruggs did, but I still think it paints a very bleak picture. I have literally nothing to say to that. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. You summed it up perfectly. I love it. All right. So we will then move along from Henry Ruggs. Um, let's see. What do we have next here? I want to know. 
I guess we'll stick here with the pessimistic side of the equation here. Which rookie is most likely to trend downward from here on out? Want me to go first with this one? Yeah, let's start off with you, Sam. Sure, not a problem. Um, This is the one, out of all the notes you had sent me on the show, Doc, this was the one I struggled with the most because I kept making cases for a lot of these rookie wide receivers to keep playing well. Not that I really wanted anyone to trend downward or guys that maybe didn't perform super well. You know, they couldn't really go much further down. So I don't know if this is contrarian at all, but I went with Brandon Ayuk simply because I'm really curious to see how this offense performs with him and Debo Samuel and George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo all together for a full season where they're all healthy. We saw all of these guys flash in spurts, and Ayuk has like five. He had five games this year where he had over 20 PPR points, had another handful over 17. So he absolutely balled out with targets and involvement when he was on the field. But I'm really curious to see how the breakdown of that offense looks. And I'm kind of wondering now, you know, and he's a perfect fit, in my opinion, for that offensive scheme. When they drafted him, he just reminded me very much of somebody in the same vein as a Debo Samuel. But I wonder what his production is going to look like when he has the rest of those playmakers around him. Yeah, Matt. I think that's a good answer. Um, The guy who stands out to me, and maybe this is cheating a little bit because he's not like, I think really in the tier of people we would think about, but KJ Hamler. Um, and, And I think he actually kind of should be in the tier of people we think about because he was a second rounder. He was 21 years old. Uh, He did break out. Uh, in his first college season, uh, you know, has that road of his characteristic of being productive in a variety of ways. Um, and he is, you know, the deep threat on his team. But I think with Cortland Sutton returning, uh, you still have, you know, Tim Patrick there as a rotational receiver, Jerry Judy developing in his second season, uh, and then Noah, Noah Fant as a tight end who's going to be used uh, pretty regularly. I just don't see where KJ Hamler is going to get the targets to take a step forward. Like KJ Hamler just feels like another version, a cheaper version of Henry Ruggs uh, in terms of like what he does for that offense. And I, I think Hamler, like it's unfortunate because I do think he has a long-term potential, but I don't know if he's ever going to reach it uh, in part just because of the offense. And like, if, if he doesn't do much as a rookie and doesn't do much in his second year, I mean, he has very little chance of doing something after that. So uh, Hamler, I think, is, is poorly positioned for the future. Let me throw out one here, which this is going to be kind of ridiculous because after what I said we could do with this player prior making a case for him to be the player that actually overtakes Justin Jefferson next year. I think you could also make a case. What if it's uh, Chase Claypool who trends downward the most from here? Because he got himself up so high, well beyond what I would say would be people's expectations. But really, when you look at the season, that 42.6 point performance against the Eagles in week five really changes the entire trajectory or stratosphere of his season, I think, in the way that we might look at it. Now, of course, he did play in this offense where there's a lot of other players that you could look at. But I also think that there's reasons that you can point to where there's things that could be troubling, right? He did see 
a lot of targets that traveled more than 15 yards. But like, for example, on the right side of the field, he only caught five of the 23 targets aimed his way, converted that into 143 yards. On the left side of the field, just three out of 10, did convert that into 161. But what I'm building up to here is, yes, he did get the volume, did manage to get a lot of touchdowns, but it might not be as stellar as we would seem. And I would say that this is... um overall a season for him where things probably went pretty well in the terms uh or, or in the luck department perhaps or the variance department i think that it's very possible this could be the type of season for a player where they end up actually having um their i don't i don't know if it's necessarily the most efficient or their best season of their career but just kind of outplaying expectations maybe even not from a fantasy point expectation perspective enough but I think that if I'm looking at these top tier players and I'm looking for the one that perhaps most outplayed what my view of their actual talent could be it might be Claypool I understand he's a really really good athlete um, but what we saw from him in the NFL almost felt to me like he was overreaching what he did in college with in terms of actual production Sam do you have thoughts on that I think that's a great point and I to your point, Dave, I think, you know, when we talk about what player is likely to trend downward, I think in terms of perceived value, Claypool's probably going to be in that in, in that vein as well because it's really buoyed by that 42-point performance. He never broke into the wide receiver one category again the rest of the season and had a stretch of games from week 12 to week 16 where he only topped 10 PPR points one time. Yep. So like you said, the variance kind of both helped him in a way, but also really reared its head a number of times. The passing volume uh, on that offense was obviously super, super helpful. You want to look at wide receivers of this rookie class who maybe have the most amount of question marks heading into the offseason. His situation probably is going to be one of the ones near the top in terms of question marks that have to be addressed. Does Juju Smith-Schuster stay or not? Same thing with Ben Roethlisberger. So I can definitely make a case for him at least trending downward in value. Yeah, exactly. And the the Roethlisberger piece was one of the pieces that... uh... Like that was one of the main parts of my thesis and I forgot to mention it because it does raise questions about what the identity of that offense looks like. And then, um, you know, like you said, if you're trying to just look at the total amount of question marks there, you're probably going to have more with Claypool than you would with these other guys. Now, some of that's just me making that case. Um, do I think that we're going to see him fall off tremendously from where he was at this year? No, I don't really think so. But, you know, when we're talking about a class that had as many good players as it did, Um, and I have to flag a name, I'm a little bit more concerned about him in comparison to other players. Friedman, you have any thoughts on that or should we move along? No, I think that's fine. Although I would say I'm not really all that concerned about him playing like just on one side of the field and stuff like that. Like that's very classic, like DK Metcalf and you know, like they can, he can start to become a better player. And actually I, I'm going to disagree with Sam a little bit in that, like from, I, I don't think people are going to remember the negative weeks that Claypool had. I think there's going to be delusion based on all of the positive weeks that he had where he blew up for, you know, like a hundred yards and or, you know, multiple touchdowns. Um, I think that is what's going to carry his, uh, his draft, his draft hype for 2021. So I, I could see how he easily underperforms that, but I think just in terms of like the way that he's perceived, I think people are going to be thinking about everything he did that was positive instead of uh, the inconsistency. For sure. He might be a player depending on where his ADP ends up later this, this off season that I'm just willing to be wrong on where I probably wouldn't feel comfortable drafting him because of that situation. 
Yeah, he he I think will be like a total swing for the fences type of pick. For sure. Uh, I'm going to skip the question about who is closest to their ceiling because I think that we've covered that in some capacity. So, Sam, who is a breakout player that might not be on people's radar just yet? Yeah, I already kind of hit on him, and it's going to be Darnell Mooney simply because of the reasons I listed above. Um, just a quick recap, almost hit 100 targets as a rookie, ha- has that speed capability, has a definitive wide receiver two role locked in at minimum with upside for more. I know there's questionable quarterback play, but um, just, just the volume and the athleticism for me, I think he's cheap enough still right now, and the fact that he didn't play in the playoffs is going to help keep his value relatively subdued. And then the playoff value spike is very real. There's just these massive swings in perception of player value, good or bad, once playoff comes, because that's the only football we have. Uh, but, but he would be a guy I would be targeting as someone who's probably off most people's radars based on his rookie season, who I think could take a big step forward. Yeah, I really like that answer, too. You make two good points, the first being that... Um, we're not seeing him in the playoffs. And then I think also, like you said, you know, he's in Chicago. There's questions about the quarterback play. I don't think people are going to be sold that Chicago is going to have a great offense. And that makes a player that's at the point where he is in his career with the fantasy profile at this point that he has, the type of player that people forget about or pass on. So that's that's definitely um, a possibility. Unless you have uh, any name that you really want to toss out, Matt, we'll move on. I, I do. I do have a name okay. I want to toss out. Uh, and this one is deep. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I was uh, a skeptic about him when he was entering the league because he really underwhelmed at Michigan. Um, but he's flashed whenever he's gotten opportunities. And he hasn't always been consistent. Uh, but he has recently you know, overtaken Kaderil Hodge to be the number three receiver in his offense. Uh, he's been highly efficient at turning targets into yards, uh, 15.2 yards per target. Now, obviously, it's on a small sample, so I don't want to read too much into that. But it, you know, it goes along with the type of player he is. He's big. He's really athletic for his size. Uh, he was, I believe, a four or five star recruit entering Michigan. And I think a lot of the problems that he had in college was just that, uh, you know, he was in an offense that really wasn't very imaginative, but he was only 21 years old as a rookie. Uh, and then this upcoming season, I think there's the potential that he could be like the number one perimeter receiver in that offense because Rashard Higgins is an un, uh, an unrestricted free agent. So he might be gone. And there's the possibility that Odell Beckham Jr. either is released or misses the first half of the season because of his ACL injury or, you know, something like that. But, you know, Beckham hasn't really been himself for the past few years anyway. So I could see a situation where uh, Peoples-Jones, you know, is a starter next year. And if Beckham, you know, kind of disappoints, like Peoples-Jones could potentially end up overtaking him as the top perimeter option and with his you know playmaking ability maybe he ends up actually out targeting uh Jarvis Landry because like Landry like he's fine but he's never been all that efficient at turning his targets uh into yards and so if uh Peoples Jones is able to give them another option on the outside uh I could see the the possibility for him taking off like that's it's not it's not likely, but um, I think he's going to offer value uh, for his ceiling based on where you're going to be able to draft him next year. 
Yeah, that's that's a deep cut, but I really like it. And to your point about efficiency, if you just want to simply chase his athletic profile, you know, his recruiting metrics coming out of high school into college, you know, brushing aside some question marks from his some his underperforming college play. But if you just want to chase the efficiency, he was top 25 at the position in fantasy points over expectation per game. It's like you mentioned for Jarvis Landry, maybe not as efficient in turning his target volume into fantasy production. Peoples Jones absolutely did that on the limited chances that he had this season. Matt, you talking about um, Jarvis Landry there for a minute almost makes me want to go back to our conversation from a lot, well, that we've had a number of times about Landry versus Beckham after, uh, you know, some great plays from Jarvis Landry last evening. We will skip that, though. So, Sam, the and I feel like you might have already touched upon this a little bit, but the rookie wide receiver that you're most interested in selling in a hypothetical scenario where you own all of these rookie wide receivers for me, and it's it's not meant to be hot takey at all, but because I, I like a lot of these rookie wide receivers, if I'm going to have to sell one for sake of conversation, I'm probably going to sell Justin Jefferson simply because of the price that I think he'll get you in return. Because for me, I really feel like you could pivot off of Jefferson and get somebody like T. Higgins plus. And whatever that mm-hmm. plus ends up being, me, that would probably be the difference maker because wide receiver is such a replaceable position that if I can turn that T Higgins who I'm super high on plus draft capital plus a depth player whatever if, if I can maneuver it in that situation I think I would have a hard time turning down that trade simply because you know you finish as the wide receiver six as a rookie set the rookie receiving record we, we hashed all that out already I'm still not sold that he's going to really take another big step forward. And like Matt had mentioned earlier, we can talk about the target volume going up for sure. I think that's a definite probability and maybe he regresses in the yards, ups his touchdowns. I still think your net gain for Jefferson is going to be about where it is, but simply because his value, his perceived value and actual value is so, so high that if somebody, you know, you get a Vikings fan, whoever who's willing to back up the truck for, for Jefferson if I can get a decent haul back and keep within a relative or similar tier talent wise or production wise for wide receiver, I'll I'll probably make that move. I think that's a, that's a good answer. I can definitely see it. Jefferson popped in my mind as a potential answer there. Um, Two guys I would look to trade uh, Jalen Rager because I'm just, I'm not going to believe it. I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to just be pessimistic and hope (laughs) like if I'm selling him hope that I'm selling him relatively high, like while he still has some value and people think, okay, well he was, it was a rookie tough circumstances. Uh, He, he bounces back in his second year. I would just bet against that and trade him if I can. And this one might be a little bit hot takey, but uh, I think I would, I would trade CD lamb. Um, It's not to say that like he wasn't impressive as a rookie uh, because he was, um, but I, I don't know. Like, I think his value in the market is really high and probably higher than his intrinsic value, given that he still has to compete with other wide receivers. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with Dak. I mean, I'm assuming Dak is going to come back, but what if he's not quite the same player he was before? Uh, what if Kellen Moore at some point ends up leaving? Like, I just think that there are a lot of unknowns with the Dallas situation and people are pricing CeeDee Lamb as if he's guaranteed to be a superstar. And I just don't think that's quite the case. I really like the Jalen Rager take a lot. And I think he's a, he's a great player that you will want to avoid sunk cost fallacy with because 
of the draft capital he had coming in, the hype coming in, the excuses that we made for his inept quarterback playing college. And he just simply didn't perform very well as, as a rookie. And obviously some injury played into that, maybe some poor quarterback play. But I, I don't mind that Rager take at all because I do truly agree that his perceived value is still at a point where you could probably get a decent return for him. So I just want to interject here, though, for for a quick second, Matt, because that C.D. Lamb response is interesting. Um, in comparison to Chase Claypool, in your mind and not what you think that the market is doing, how closely do you situate them in value? It, it, like, how much is separating them and who's on top? Uh, I I prefer Claypool. I think the market probably prefers C.D. Lamb. Yep. But how much how much distance do you have between the two? Not massive distance, but um, I I mean I guess I would say it's close. But I I clearly prefer Claypool. Wow. Okay. Um, he's down on the hometown receiver, uh, wide receiver that you're most interested in buying. Let's start off with Sam. Sure, probably either a T. Higgins or a Jerry Judy. I talked a little bit about T. Higgins already, but kind of switching over to Jerry Judy, and I know we're kind of wrapping up with him here in a minute, but his target volume was great, 113 targets. Catch percentage was obviously just horrific. I think you can kind of point that two different directions. Poor quarterback play for sure, but he had his his own issues with with drops, some of the things he, he had on the field. It almost looked like he was trying a little bit too hard in certain instances. I think the return of Corlin Sutton will help him. I think Judy's probably a little bit more suited with his skill set at the NFL level to be more of a wide receiver too in a complementary role. I would like to see him operate more underneath and see Sutton as more of the more of the downfield threat. And like a lot of these other rookie wide receivers, just taking that second year step with a hopefully relatively normal and full offseason. I think you can kind of make that blanket statement for a lot of them. But if somebody's really down on Judy or, or Higgins, because of poor quarterback play, those are guys I'm definitely interested in buying long-term. Two guys I would be interested in, uh, and I don't think we've really talked about them, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. and Denzel Mims, um, because I think they they flashed enough this year to make you think that they still have like potential, um, but they're not going to have the cost of all of those other first and second round wide receivers that we've mentioned. Uh, you know, Pittman, maybe he's the number one receiver in Indianapolis next year, uh, whether Hilton is with the team or not. Uh, Mims, you know, potentially new situation with him, uh, certainly a new offense. Maybe he will also have a new quarterback. Uh, so I could see both of those guys uh, taking a fairly decent step next year, um, but you can acquire them without having to pay for the certain assumption that they are taking a step forward. I kind of envisioned Pittman and Mims, and I, I mentioned this a number of weeks, I even think months ago, kind of middle of the season, that I could foresee one of those two having a, now not exactly like a DJ Chark-like second-year jump based on what abilities they both have on the field and where they kind of go from relative you know, obscurity and they won't cost you a lot to acquire to someone who's almost a viable fantasy starter on a weekly basis. Yeah, I could see that. So actually, um, Pittman was the player that I was going to say that I'd be interested in um, taking a chance on because we know he profiles um, with that size and, you know, the biophysical profile as a player that can definitely be a wide receiver and one on his team. I thought we saw some encouraging things. And also, you know, the Colts are a team that had a pretty good season. Regardless of what happens at the quarterback position, I still think that we're seeing 
um, a decent team in the next year or two. So I think that's pretty encouraging. And actually, Matt, you and I, I, I feel like both did kind of like him coming out of school. We were pretty um, interested. I will say, though, if you look at what he did in his rookie season and you toss it into a similarity search, the uh, results are not that great. So he would have to be the exception to to the rule there. But I would be interested in Pittman. So we are close to wrapping up, Matt, uh, excuse me, Sam, as you just mentioned, uh, Jerry, Judy, I guess my final question here would be how much of the situation do we think he is just a prisoner of circumstance? And and as we said, that's going to change. So I guess if we just have to, well, we kind of answered this. So I guess I'll, I'll just see if there's anywhere else that we want to explore with that. Um, with Jerry, Judy, Again, I think he'll he'll have to be more efficient, obviously. But I think having another season of growth with Drew Locke, I do think Drew Locke comes back. I, I don't foresee the Broncos moving off of him, even due to their draft capital or their situation. I would like to see the team give him another season, and after that, we'll see. I, I just think Judy's skill set on the field as being a phenomenal route runner, I do think that translates. Now, it's not the only thing, obviously, but it was still nice to see the team lean into him with targets, even though he wasn't really converting them. You, you got to have targets to have production, but it would be nice to see him um, operate more as a wide receiver too. And I just think that that offense has enough offensive playmakers where, where he will have an opportunity to, to have some decent production. I'm not overly concerned that there are, you know, too many miles to feed, so to speak, because his draft capital and his ability in the field, I think will still garner him enough opportunity. Got it. All right. So my final question here will be, um, I am going to list three wide receivers And then I want Sam, you to tell me out of these three wide receivers, and I'm sorry here, I'm going off the sheet, but I realized that I wanted to talk about these guys and wasn't able to work them in yet. So you give me um, which one of these guys you are most excited about. And um, these players are going to be Lynn Bowden Jr., Tyler Johnson, and Brian Edwards, who were players that Matt and I, I think, had talked about a long time ago as guys that we might be more interested heading into year two. None of these guys really had great uh, volume or opportunity to show what they might be capable of doing. But uh, out of those three guys, who do you, who do you prefer? I would go with I would go with Tyler Johnson. Um, and maybe just because I'm a Big Ten guy, I live in Wisconsin, got to watch him play in Minnesota for a while. I really liked just his overall body of production in college, and he's obviously buried pretty heavily in the wide receiver room where he's at right now aging quarterback, you know, behind a number of excellent wide receivers. But I still think from um, from an athletic standpoint, he broke out at age 19. Doesn't have the draft capital, but again, I think his college production, and he's flashed a little bit when he had the, when he's had the opportunity. But if I had to pick one for a deep stash, it would probably be Tyler Johnson. I like it. Freeman. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I agree with that one. I like that. Um, you know, Chris Godwin is a free agent next year. Uh, I think Antonio Brown is also a free agent. Now, you know, the odds are one of them will stay, but, you know, maybe they, they both walk. Uh, and even if it's just uh, Chris Godwin leaving, you have the opportunity for Tyler Johnson right away to, uh, to get the starting slot role, uh, which, you know, uh, could be it could be pretty prolific for him uh, given the propensity that Brady has to target his slot receivers. So I, I think there's an opportunity there for him um, with Bowden. I'm not quite sure, you know, like new offensive coordinator coming in. Uh, we're not you know, really sure the extent to which he's going to be used. And then uh, I can't even remember the third person he mentioned. Uh, Brian Edwards on the Raiders. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> that's right. No. 
Yeah, you know, I think the other um, thing that I would just toss in here too, with I would not be shocked if Miami drafts a wide receiver fairly early in this year's draft, um, making things even muddier yeah. for Bowden. Whereas I don't think you're going to see Tampa Bay adding many, adding like an early round wide receiver, which keeps Johnson kind of in line there to come in and maybe contribute. Sam, we really do appreciate you coming on. It was awesome to get to talk to you. Hopefully, um, we'll be able to get you back on the podcast soon and um, we can, you know, just chat some more football. But why don't you let everybody out there know um, where they can find you um, on uh, Twitter? And also, I know that you've kind of started a little venture of your own personally, too, that I, I want to give you a chance to plug. Sure. Yeah, not a problem. Since you uh, since you so graciously offered me the chance to do a shameless plug here at for the month of January, I'm really offering the opportunity for people to schedule a 30 minute one on one face to face meeting with me over Google Meet. And we can sit down and chat about your um, your upcoming rookie draft, your dynasty startup draft or really just anything fantasy football related. If you wanted to chat rookies, kind of go over some super, super early redraft strategies or guys to look for for the coming year really wanting to provide an opportunity to chat with people face to face and what has become really just a digital world with everything going on. We haven't really gotten maybe connect with people as much as we would have liked to in the past. Uh, it's been really great having the chance to meet and talk to a number of really awesome people in this space and just have those personal connections is something I've really, really enjoyed. Awesome. So um, we'll just float it out there one more time. So if somebody wanted to connect uh, with you to do that, where, where would be the best channel for them to, to contact you? Yeah, over on Twitter at swallace underscore ff, and it's currently my pinned tweet, and it'll be right there at the top of my profile through the end of the month of January. Awesome. All right. Well, we will be back, Matt and I, next week. Uh, we'll be continuing to wrap up what happened in the playoffs, what happened in 2020, and pretty soon we are going to start looking at the next class of rookies but that does it for this episode you can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com follow us on twitter at dave cabin ff and at matt f the oracle thanks to blue wire for sponsoring the show make sure to rate review and subscribe and as always remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.